Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Hey everyone, welcome to our first Advent Sunday. Uh, We are entering into a unique and special season for the church as we draw closer and closer to Christmas. Uh, it's it's uh, the season of Advent is this time to remember and in a way draw closer to the reality that unto us a Savior is born. It, it's a season to remember and it's a season to look forward with hopeful anticipation. And I hope that you join us over the next four Sundays as we gather together, worship, reflect, and look forward together. And I hope that you join us uh, for Christmas Eve as well. Christmas is always a time of anticipation. I remember as kids, my siblings and I on Christmas Eve, we would always stay together in the same room. And I almost said we all sleep together in the same room, but there wasn't much sleeping uh, happening because how could we sleep? We, we were just so filled with anticipation. We knew that on the other side of that door, there was a Christmas tree that presents were being placed underneath it. We knew that when we woke up, there was something good coming our way. We were so excited and filled with uh, just childlike wonder at, at Christmas day. And, um, and, we, uh, and today I wanna look at a story and a couple who found out something was coming their way. Something good was coming their way. But unlike me as a kid on Christmas Eve, they, they weren't expecting these events at all. They weren't, uh, they weren't anticipating the events were going to unfold in their lifetime, in their day. And so uh, let's, let's take a look. Open with me if you have a Bible to Luke chapter one, and we'll begin to read in verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Zechariah and Elizabeth, by all measures here, are, are, are portrayed as a godly couple. They had recognition. They had a good family lineage. Not only were they unique because of their family uh, distinctions and roles, they were righteous before God, it says. This is a couple of faith, further evidence, not by their words, but by their actions. It says that they walked blamelessly in all the commandments, in all the statutes of the Lord. These are very impressive people, not sinless people, but blameless people, meaning they were of sound integrity. They had good character in the community. There was no one who could, who could bring to the surface a sinful scandal that they were involved in. They were of high character. They were sincere in their faith and they acted in accordance with it. And they were this way together. This isn't, this isn't Zechariah, it's not him, it's not Elizabeth, but together it says this is how they walked. They were joined together in marriage and they were joined together with God. Zechariah and Elizabeth are the kind of people you want as neighbors, right? They're the kind of people you want to watch your kids and to house sit for you when you're gone. They're the kind of people who go out of their way to help you out, to take care of you and to be there for you. I mean, think Mr. Rogers and Mother Teresa, right? Think, think like the only way you could be mad at them is that there's no reason to be mad at them. Like this is the kind of people that Luke seems to be putting in front of us in this passage. But it says something else. 
Luke says, but they had no child. Elizabeth was barren and advanced in years. It's always hard to not have a child for those who want to conceive, but it was particularly hard in this culture and in this era for those who were barren and who were childless. It would have been viewed as a reproach from God, a blessing withheld, not having any children. People probably wondered, probably pondered in their mind, like what, they, go, you know, they, they don't see anything wrong with Zechariah and Elizabeth, but they wondered, what did they do? Maybe what did their parents do? Like what's going, some, you know, why has God withheld such a blessing? They must've done something. Elizabeth probably suffered with shame and guilt and wonderment herself. This is a huge deal in their culture. It must've been a massive pain point for them to walk through and to overcome. You know, <clears throat> but it does say, and says that it portrays them and they're now, you know, advanced in years and it portrays them as a faithful couple, couple. So they could have become bitter about this, but rather instead of letting bitterness overtake their life, they remain blameless and faithful to God. Little did they know that their life was about to be turned upside down in the most unexpected ways. Look at verse eight. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So let me, let me explain this a little bit. So Zechariah is on duty at the temple and they would cast lots to see who would perform certain tasks for that day. And there's a variety of ways that they could have cast lots. It doesn't, we don't know exactly how they cast lots, but it's basically like rolling the dice. We would see it as we're leaving it up to chance. They saw it as like, we're leaving this up to God's choice. We're gonna cast lots and see who the lot falls to. Well, on this occasion, the lot fell to Zechariah. Zachariah's number is drawn or his name is landed on to burn the incense. And this is like, we need to grasp this. This is like hitting the lottery. This is like, um, this is, this is, you know, this is Zechariah's Super Bowl. This is his World Series. This is like, this is a once in a chance lifetime. Some commentators estimate that there's anywhere from 18,000 to 20,000, upwards of 18,000 to 20,000 priests during this time period. So for your name to be drawn, to perform this sacred duty and only one priest would, would, uh, would, would burn the incense. So it was only his name. And so on his day, there's no other priest doing this. This is a literally a once in a chance lifetime. I mean, to be a priest, to, to be walking in his shoes, to be showing up uh, and he's advanced in years. So really his, his career as a priest is coming to an end. This is probably a reality that he, he may have thought like this is never gonna happen. Like I'm never gonna get the opportunity to perform this function, but the lot falls to him. And it would be his responsibility to go through all the proper ceremonial procedures and to enter the holy place in the temple and to burn the incense whose smoke would rise up into the sky, carrying the prayers of Israel up to the heavenly places. And when you study the process, the respect and the holy fear that came in executing these types of things, it's hard not to be impressed with the reverence that they held for God and in all that they did. I mean, there is just this awe and fear and trembling that they had with performing these duties. 
Zechariah would enter the temple and these prayers, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't just bringing his prayers, but he's bringing the prayers of Israel. He is praying most likely that God would forgive them from their sins, that he would hear the people's cry, that he would receive them. And it's important to note that in this moment, Zechariah is walking out this process and he's, 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 he's entering the temple and he's entering into the holy place. It's important to note that there has been 400 years of silence from God. No angels, no signs, no wonders, but silence. And as he entered into the holy place, the multitude, the Israelites would be gathered outside. And as he would burn the incense and the smoke lifted up, the crowd would all get down and bow down in prayer and in submission to God. And silence would sweep over the crowd. Just a, not even a hush. And in this moment of silence, in this moment of history on this day that Zechariah is burning the incense, God breaks in. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Just pause. Could you imagine how terrified you would be if you were standing in a dimly lit room alone, absolute silence, like deafening silence all around you. And then all of a sudden you see something move out of the corner of your eye and there is a giant angel of the Lord in that room with you. I mean, we would all be terrified. Most of us probably would have fallen to the ground. In fact, this same angel appears to Daniel in the Old Testament, and that's exactly what Daniel did. Daniel describes him as one who looked like a man. And as this angel drew near to Daniel, it says he fell down in fear as he approached him. So this is, this is an awesome and terrifying being that, that uh, Zechariah is encountering. But the angel tells him, fear not. Why? He says, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Incredible. Zechariah must have been ecstatic. His prayer had been heard. It's a miracle. A miracle child was to be born. Joy and gladness lay before him in his future. And his child would not just be any child. It would be like the prophet Elijah, preparing the hearts of God's people for the Messiah, for the savior of the world. It's extremely unlikely that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been actually praying for their own child though. It's most likely that that prayer had long been extinguished with age, 
with what was no longer possible with man. It's most likely that as Zechariah burned the incense of prayer on behalf of the Israelites, on behalf of their sins, and he was praying to God, it was likely he was praying for God to send the promised one, to send the Messiah, to send the Savior, to rescue Israel out and to reestablish them as God's chosen people. And so when the angel says, your prayer has been answered, it's likely that the prayer that God was answering was that he would finally break in and set into motion his plan to redeem the Israelites and bless the world. The Messiah is coming. It was Zechariah and Elizabeth's child who would be named John, who would come to be known as John the Baptist, who was set apart to be the forerunner of the Christ. And all of this was prophesied about in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. Now we would expect Zechariah, this faithful man to be dancing and shouting for joy. But what does he say? He says, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. When Zechariah asked, how shall I know this? He wasn't asking out of wonderment. He wasn't asking out of hopeful curiosity. He asked because he did not believe. And there's a humbling lesson to learn from Zechariah here. A priest who undoubtedly could quote you the Old Testament from memory, whole books of the Bible. I mean, he is someone who knew about the promises and prophecies of God. He knew that one day God would say would send a savior. If you asked Zechariah, did he believe that God would send a Messiah for the Israelites? He would have said, yes, absolutely, I believe that. If someone asked him, hey, if, is God gonna set into motion a plan to rescue? He would have said, he would have said, yes, absolutely, I believe this. But in the moment, but even though he knew all that information, even though he had been living this life faithfully and righteously in the moment, he doubt sprang up and he said, how shall I know this? Which is another way of him asking for a sign because apparently it wasn't enough that an angel of the Lord just fabricate out of thin air, stand next to him, speak to him and deliver to him a message directly from God. When we don't believe we always need another sign. When we doubt God, we always need another sign. We always need another layer of reinforcement. He said, I'm an old man. I love this. I love the, the change in language. He says, he says, I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years, as if she was listening outside the door, like, like what's going on in there? Why is he taking so long? He's old, she's advanced. He says, how is this going to happen? Friends, we, we must uproot and acknowledge and ask God to help us with our unbelief. Zechariah knew this stuff. He knew that the angel was quoting Malachi when he spoke to him. But even with all of that knowledge, doubt came in. It's an easy thing to believe God wants to do things 
But when it comes to believing if he will work through you and I, that the most holy God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, beginning and the end creator of the universe, that God, that holy God, when we, when we come to the idea that he wants to work through you and I, that's an entirely different thing. So we'll say things like, hey, I believe God wants us to share the gospel. But when it comes to believing that he wants me to share it with my coworker, for those words to come out of my mouth, that man, there is a, there is a hope and a life that you can have in knowing Jesus Christ. We can say, hey, we believe that God heals, but it's another level of belief to stand before someone and say, hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Because I believe in a God that heals. Let's pray and let's see if God moves. It's easier to believe, it's easier to say like, hey, I believe that God speaks to people today, that God is still speaking, but it's a totally different thing to listen and expect and hear from God and then to receive that and then to go and share it with someone, to believe that God wants to use you. And this is where Zechariah, this is where his doubt flooded. He knew this, he believed it. He knew God wanted to send a Messiah. He knew that God would send a forerunner, but in the moment he couldn't believe that God wanted to use him. And we can struggle with that same thing. We can live in that same self-doubt because we're so focused on ourselves. We can be so consumed with what we think we can do. Zechariah looks at him and Elizabeth and says, hey, there is no way we can have a child. Where was his focus? His focus was, was on them. It was that they were old and advanced in years. It was that they were, could no longer bear a child, but he had forgotten, totally disoriented in the moment that there is a God who had already previously miraculously worked to bring children into the world to people who could not bear children. And we must center our attention and our eyes on who God is. We must lift our eyes off of ourselves and who we are so that we can live in this place of walking out the good works that God has before us because he has good works for us to walk in. And listen, I know that none of us have a perfect track record. I'm sure that we have, we have felt the nudging of God and we have felt compelled at times and inspired at times to maybe step out in faith and we have shrunk back. And I just wanna, I just wanna remind you, I wanna remind you that we don't, come from the, we don't come to an angry God who's ready to rebuke us and forget about us, but we have a loving father who disciplines us out of love. And in fact, Zechariah here, he received a discipline. He lost his ability to speak, not forever, but for a season. And, his, and that, that discipline was in response to his disbelief, but God's favor did not leave him. He didn't forget him. He didn't even say, hey, you know what? All right, next, next priest line up. You know, I'm going to the next guy who will believe. He didn't do that. In fact, even in the face of Zechariah's doubt, God still blessed him. God still brought him a child as we will see. God still kept his promises. And it's so important that we understand that in the midst of, of us being faithless, God remains faithful. God's faithfulness and his willingness to keep his promise and his word is never contingent on our faithful response to him. God had promised in the beginning in Genesis that he would send a savior and he had set his plan in motion. And even though Zechariah doubted, he was still, he says, the angel, and the angel says it, right? These things will be fulfilled in their time. Praise God, he's gracious to us.
He restores us. He's gentle with us. He forgives us. And we can boldly step out because of who he is, not because of who we are. Let's keep reading into verse 21. It says, the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized, they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife, Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Just imagine with me for a moment, the excitement that had to ripple through the crowd as Zechariah came out, waving his arms, unable to speak. I mean, here's these people, Israel has gathered together. They've gathered to pray for the, the priest to enter into the holy place, to, to burn the incense so that God might receive their prayer, might forgive their sins. 400 years of silence. And on this day, they can discern, even though he can't tell them with his words, that Zechariah has had an encounter. He's seen something. They don't even know what, like they can't even get on board with what he's excited about. Doesn't give any indication that he was able and probably was still maybe a little bit living in doubt of like trying to communicate they were gonna have a baby. Can you imagine silently trying to communicate this elderly couple, we're gonna have a baby. Just wouldn't be able to, but they, but they could discern that. Can you imagine the excitement? 400 years of silence, like that something is happening. They don't know what's happening. And it's just like that Christmas Eve. It's just like being a kid on Christmas Eve. Something good is about to happen. We don't know what it is, but we can feel it. We can feel the anticipation building. Something is on his way. And I just love uh, this moment reminds me of just a, a quote that C.S. Lewis has in Lion, in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And he says, and they, the, uh, it says it this way. It says, it says, Aslan is on the move. And Aslan's the Jesus figure in C.S. Lewis's book. I say, Aslan is on the move. And it's just dripping with anticipation. It's just, it's just dripping with weight, like, like something good, something powerful, something terrifying, something awesome, something incredible is about to happen. And just as God revealed himself through the angel Gabriel, he is still breaking in and awakening, awakening us to the reality that Jesus is on the move, that he is the savior of the world, that we are broken beyond repair, but we can transfer our brokenness onto him and receive a brand new life, not defined by our mistakes, but loved because we belong to him. John's role Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, his role was to herald the coming Christ, to go before and declare that people, so that, to declare so that people would ready their hearts. That God was on the move. He did that so that their hearts would be ready and prepared to be changed. That people were about to experience a work of God unlike any other. And that's our role today, church. We, we are to be that herald who announce, who declare that Jesus is the Christ, not some good teacher, not some good prophet, but the eternal God coming to us in human form so that he might set into motion his plan to rescue us from our sinful state. 
It's our role to declare that in the midst of a very, very, very dark world, there is a light that shines upon us, a light that is outside of us, that brings us hope. But we must believe. We must learn from Zechariah. We must humble ourselves. We must believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that even he, the all-powerful God, wants to work through normal people like me and you. And we might face impossible circumstances, but Jesus is not limited by that. Just like God was not limited by Zechariah and Elizabeth's age and being able to bear a child. I think Jesus loves impossible circumstances. I think he loves to do the unthinkable. And let's not just show up. Let's not just go through the motions as it's, as it's a temptation to do. But let's believe and then speak and then act in faith based on who he is. Let us pray. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that, Lord, you set into motion a rescue plan. Lord, that you set apart this couple to miraculously conceive a child who would be the forerunner, Lord, who would point to one who is greater to come. Lord, we just thank you first and foremost, God, for the Messiah, the Savior. Lord, the youth who saved us from our sins, who stood in our place, who took our brokenness, that in this season we can have hope in the midst of darkness, God, because of what you've done because of what you've accomplished, because you did come, because you did stand and take our place on the cross. We just thank you for what a wonderful thing that is, God. Teach us, Lord, teach us and increase our faith for what you would do through us to spread the good news of who you are. Amen.